It's the last psalm of book one of the psalms. And uh, Lord willing, Dalen's going to start book two next week with Psalm 42. Uh, But for now, we're still in book one. And this last psalm in, uh, in book one, Psalm 41, feels a lot like many of the other psalms that we've seen already in book one of the psalms. Uh, Almost all of the psalms in book one are written by David, and David's psalms especially focus on the role of God's anointed king. And that term, anointed king, uh, is where we get the term Messiah, Christ. David was the anointed king, and as he carried out his role, he was just a foreshadow of the ultimate anointed king, Jesus Christ. And so, as we've been in book one of the Psalms, we've seen this pattern repeated throughout this book. Uh, King David writes about his personal experience as God's anointed king, and he writes that, and then he gives that to the choir master to lead the people of God in singing together about this individual, the anointed king. What we learn from that is the people of God need to sing about their king. If it was true in David's day, how much more true is it for us in our day? The people of God needed to sing about their king because their hope was tied up in the king. The king's victory was their victory. The king's success was their success. The king's deliverance was their deliverance. And in this pattern, we see a foreshadowing of the kingdom of God. As citizens of the kingdom of God today, we need to sing about our anointed king, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Because our hope is tied up in this individual, the king. If we are Christians, the Bible says we are in Christ. And God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. His death and resurrection is our death and resurrection. His righteousness is our righteousness. His rewards are our rewards. His victory is our victory. Our hope is tied up in our King, Jesus. So what we'll see as we read Psalm 41 is uh, David's going to begin by making a statement about God and his deliverance. And he shows that he makes that statement about God delivering someone because He's going to go on to describe his own experience of having needed to be delivered. And then he concludes again by praising God for his deliverance. So he'll make a statement about God's deliverance. He'll describe his own need for deliverance prior, and then he'll praise God for delivering him. Well, with that, let's let's see that as we read Psalm 41. Since these words are breathed out by God and come with the authority of Jesus himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. The Holy Spirit says to the choir master, a psalm of David, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. 
My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Because of our sinful nature, we are prone to make religion all about ourselves. We're prone to make religion all about ourselves. We want a faith that makes us feel good. We want a message that tells us what we should do with our lives. We want a story that makes us the hero. We want a system that we can work so that we can be good people on our own. We're prone to making religion about ourselves. But the Bible consistently redirects our eyes away from ourselves and directs our eyes to God and his Christ. As God gave his people in the Old Testament, the Psalms, he gave them psalm after psalm that was not about them. He gave them psalms where they were singing about their king. He gave them psalms where they were singing about their God. He was directing their hearts to find hope outside of themselves in another. And Psalm 41 is yet another psalm that helps us in this way. Ultimately, Psalm 41 is a call to worship. It ends at the very last verse calling for the God of Israel to be blessed. It gets our eyes off of ourselves and onto the God who is worthy of praise. And why is Yahweh, the God of Israel, worthy to be blessed according to Psalm 41? Because of how he has blessed his anointed king. Because of how he has rescued his just king because of how he has raised the betrayed king because of how he has rewarded the innocent king because of all of this he is worthy of all praise from all people for all time so here is the message of psalm 41 to us bless the god who blesses his king Bless the God who blesses his king. 
We're going to see three aspects of that call to bless the God who blesses his king. First of all, bless the God who rescues the just king. Bless the God who rescues the just king. We're going to see this in verses 1 through 3. Bless the God who rescues the just king. So in Psalm 41, David begins in the first three verses by stating a principle, a truth. He describes how Yahweh takes care of the king who takes care of the poor. Yahweh takes care of the king who takes care of the poor. Look at verse 1. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. So book one of the Psalms ends just like it began with a statement about the blessed one. You might remember that word blessed is the Hebrew word asherah, where we get the name asher. It means happy or flourishing. And David says here that the king who flourishes is the king who considers the poor. The king was responsible for maintaining justice in society. And in any society, there are some people who are more likely to be victims of injustice than others. The poor are vulnerable to injustice because they're powerless to defend themselves against those with wealth and influence. The rich and powerful have leverage they can use to persuade the king to favor them instead of the weak and the poor. But God wanted his king to make decisions not based on what would benefit him personally, but to make decisions based on God's standard of justice. Proverbs 29, 14 says, If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. So to refer to the one who considers the poor is to refer to the king who judges by the justice of God. We're talking about the just king. David has learned that God helps the righteous king when he is in trouble. He delivers the just king. Look at verses 2 and 3. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. So here David unpacks more of the blessedness, the flourishing of the king who considers the poor. Yahweh delivers this righteous king from death. David describes how this just king uh, is on his sickbed, and the king's enemies would love nothing more than for the sickness to end in the king's death, but Yahweh keeps this king alive and restores him to full health. Yahweh takes care of the king who takes care of the poor. And this principle that David describes is most true of the son of David, King Jesus. Our king, whom God rescued from death, is a just king. King Jesus considers the poor and the weak and the vulnerable. The Gospel of Luke records how when Jesus began his ministry, he, he went into the synagogue in Nazareth on the Sabbath, and he read from Isaiah where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord 
is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Luke 4, 21 says that he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We should bless the God who rescues the just king because we are poor and in need of his mercy. Later on in Luke's gospel, in Luke 6, 20, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. The people of God in David's day could celebrate that they belonged to a kingdom in which God wanted the poor to be taken care of. You can imagine even the poor being in the congregation singing, Blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of the trouble. The Lord delivers him. The people of God in David's day could celebrate. They belonged to a kingdom in which God wanted the poor to be taken care of. Likewise, we can celebrate because we belong to a kingdom in which God wants the poor to be taken care of. In an unjust kingdom, the poor have two options. They can get stronger and get wealthier And get more powerful so that they can finally be treated right. Or they can just get used to being taken advantage of. But in a just kingdom, the weak don't have to get stronger to be blessed. In a just kingdom, the weak don't have to get stronger to be blessed. Do you know that the call of the Christian life is not to be strong. The call of the Christian life is to trust King Jesus who considers the poor. The call of the Christian life is to trust King Jesus who looks upon the weak. In the kingdom of God, you don't have to get stronger to be treated right. In the kingdom of God, you can be weak and blessed. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. So consider this. In your heart, do you believe the lie that you have to be strong to be blessed? If that's you, instead, rest in the care of the king who considers the poor. When you make disciples, are you telling people, you need to get stronger, you need to be stronger? I encourage you instead, point them to find their hope in the king who considers the weak. Our God blesses Jesus, the king who considers the poor. So may we bless the God who rescues this just king. Bless the God who rescues the just king. Second, bless the God who raises the betrayed king. Bless the God who raises 
the betrayed king. We see this in verses 4 through 10. So again, David starts with this principle, blessed is the one who considers the poor. How did David arrive at this conclusion that Yahweh takes care of the king who takes care of the poor? Well, it's from his own experience of Yahweh taking care of him, a king who took care of the poor. And he described this past experience of Yahweh taking care of him, Yahweh delivering him, starting in verse 4. Look at that verse with me. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. So King David had asked God to be merciful and to heal him. He goes on to describe he's afflicted by a deadly disease. Or we could say he bore his disease in his body. When David asked God for healing, uh, he understood, though, that he wasn't entitled to healing. David knew he was a sinner. That's why he says, Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he wasn't entitled to healing. He bore his sin in his body. So David asked God to heal him as an act of mercy. He asks for mercy from the God who promised David in 2 Samuel 7, 14 and 15 to give him an offspring, or excuse me, to give him and to give his offspring steadfast love, mercy forever. As David cried out, he went on to explain how his enemies had been responding to this disease, starting in verse 5. He had said to God, my enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? The king's enemies were ready for the disease to take him and to take his name along with him. Little did they know, Yahweh had made an eternal covenant with David, promising in 2 Samuel 7, 9, I will make for you a great name. He promised in 2 Samuel 7, 16, your house and your kingdom shall, ma- uh, shall be made sure forever before me. Even if David had died, his name would not have perished. The throne of David lasts forever. Nevertheless, the enemies are coming against David. And he goes on to describe how he told God about his enemy's double tongue. Look at verses 6 and 7. And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. So David's enemy would come to him and say nice things to him, but it was all insincere. While he was blowing smoke out of his mouth, he was stirring up sinful thoughts in his heart. And as soon as he left, he went and spread lies about David. David's enemies wanted the worst for him. And what is the worst that they imagined? Verse 8, they say, A deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. They hoped David would die. They were writing David's obituary while he was still breathing. They saw him on a sickbed and they said, he'll never get out of there. Perhaps they even said, if he's really Yahweh's anointed king, a.k.a. the Christ, if he really trusts in God, Let God deliver him. And as if that weren't enough, even a close friend had deserted him. Verse 9, 
even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. David's close friend betrayed him. This was someone that the king had hosted at his table. This is someone that the king had shared his bread with. But even though the king had graciously given his friend a morsel of bread, the friend received the morsel of bread and went out to betray his king. The king was on his deathbed. His enemies were rooting for his death. Even his close friend betrayed him. So David again asked God for mercy in verse 10. Like he did in verse 4, he bookends this again, verse 10. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. The king asked to be raised. He asked to be delivered from death so he could repay his enemies for opposing him. Again, like I said before, the king was responsible for executing justice. On the one hand, as we saw, this involved protecting the innocent, the vulnerable. On the other hand, executing justice involved punishing the guilty. And that's what he expresses here. Raise me up that I may repay them. Ultimately, this passage was fulfilled by our King Jesus the night he was betrayed. Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet. Uh, in a moment, Jesus would dip a morsel of bread and hand it to Judas. Judas would eat the morsel of bread the king gave him, and then he would immediately go out and betray him. But just before Jesus gave Judas bread from his table, he said this in John 13, verses 18 and 19. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Not only did Jesus experience his enemies trying to seek his death, even his close friend, Judas Iscariot, who ate the king's bread, betrayed him. He betrayed him into the hands of his enemies, and Jesus was crucified. And he died so that God could be gracious and heal enemies who had sinned against him. King David prayed God would raise him up from his deathbed, but God raised King Jesus from death itself. And from his exalted place of being raised up by God as the Messiah, the king will repay his enemies on the last day. But until that day comes, until the day comes when the king repays his enemy, Jesus offers an incredible blessing to his enemies. He will repay his enemies one day. But before that day comes, he's offering blessing to his enemies. Romans 5.10 says that enemies can be reconciled to God by the death of Jesus. We should bless the God who raises the betrayed king 
because we are destined for death and need to be raised. We have sinned against God, and for that we deserve death. And we live in these broken bodies, cursed by sin, prone to disease, doomed for death. But our King Jesus has made a way for us to be rescued from death. Matthew 8, 17 says, Jesus took our illnesses and bore our diseases. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Our hope is bound up in the King. Jesus took our sins on himself. Jesus took our diseases on himself. He took them to the cross so that he could turn around and take his resurrection and make it ours. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Because the betrayed king was raised from the dead, we can be raised from the dead. Though we experience disease now, in Christ one day we will be healed. Though we experience death now, in Christ one day we will be raised. So as you struggle now, look to Christ. As you struggle against sin, look to Christ who died for your sin. As you struggle with disease, look to Christ who will heal you. As you struggle with death, Look to Christ who raises the dead. Bless the God who raises the betrayed king. Third, bless the God who rewards the innocent king. Bless the God who rewards the innocent king. See this in verses 11 and 12. So, the beginning of the psalm, David began by declaring how God restores his king from illness and does not deliver him over to the will of his enemies. Then, as we just saw, David describes how he once cried out to God when he was ill and opposed by his enemies. And then now at the end of the psalm, David praises God for delivering him from illness and delivering him from his enemies. Look at verses 11 and 12. By this I know you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. David knows Yahweh delights in him as king. He's confident he has Yahweh's pleasure like the flourishing king he described at the beginning of the psalm. How does Yahweh demonstrate his favor in that the king's enemy doesn't triumph the enemy doesn't win instead david celebrates how yahweh has upheld him and he's upheld him because of his integrity because in david's case although david was a sinner against god he was a just king he had for instance considered the poor he'd protected the vulnerable from injustice and so david's hope is that Yahweh has upheld him. He has shown his favor by delivering him. But 
David's hope is more than just being healed, although he was healed from this disease. David's hope was more than being healed. His hope was more than just withstanding his enemies, although his enemy would not triumph over him. David's hope ultimately at the end of verse 12 is that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His great reward was the presence of God. Well, just like God rewarded the king of integrity, David, God rewards our perfect king, our sinless king, Jesus, because of his integrity. Hebrews 10, verses 12 and 13 says this, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. God demonstrated his delight in Christ by not letting his enemies triumph over him, by exalting him to his right hand, by giving him all authority in heaven and on earth, and by setting him, most of all, in his presence forever. Our king has the pleasure of our God. Our king is exalted. Our king has been rewarded. Our king enjoys the presence of God forever. Our king enjoys victory forever. And we should bless the God who rewards the innocent king because we can experience the rewards of the Messiah if we're in Christ. This king who is rewarded, who is exalted, who has victory, invites us to share in the delight of God and the reward of God and the presence of God by uniting us to him in faith. In Christ, God delights in us. Ephesians 2, 5 through 7 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In Christ, God delights in you. In Christ also, our enemy will not triumph over us. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In Christ also, we will enjoy the presence of God forever. Revelation 7.15 says, This is the future for those who have trusted in the blood of the Lamb. They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. So when you are discouraged, remember that God delights in you, not because of you, but because of Christ. Remember that the enemy will not triumph over you ultimately. Remember that you will enjoy the presence of God forever if you're in Christ. Christ has shared the rewards of his integrity with his undeserving people. So bless the God who rewards the innocent king. And then lastly, bless this God 
forever. Bless the God who rescues the just king. Bless the God who raises the betrayed king. Bless the God who rewards the innocent king. And bless this God forever. We've seen this king who considers the poor, who is living a flourishing, blessed life, blessed by God, rewarded by God, experiencing his delight and his pleasure and his favor and his presence. What does the God who blesses his king deserve for all of this? Praise. Psalm 41 ends with a doxology, a statement of praise in verse 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This psalm ends praising Yahweh, expressing a desire that he would receive everlasting glory. And this doxology marks the end of book one of the Psalms. All five books of Psalms end with a similar doxology, and that's why we divide the Psalter into five books. Book one ends here in Psalm 41 and verse 13. Book two ends with Psalm 72, 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Book three ends in Psalm 89, verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Book four ends with Psalm 106, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And book 5 ends in Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What we can learn from this is that Psalm 41, verse 13, is not just the end of this psalm. It's the conclusion of this whole book, Psalms 1 through 41. Furthermore, these repeated doxologies serve as this almost like a refrain or a chorus that ties the whole Psalter together. The thread that ties the whole book of Psalms together is that God is worthy of praise. That God is worthy of all praise he is worthy of the praise of all people he is worthy of the praise of his people and he is worthy of the praise of all nations he's worthy of the praise of everything that has breath he's worthy of all praise for all time he he's been worthy from eternity past he will be worthy for all of eternity from uh, for all of eternity future from everlasting to everlasting yahweh is worthy of all praise forever and ever and ever so, give your all to this God. Give this God your heart. Give this God your days. Give this God your praise. Give Him all you have. He is worthy of all praise. May God use Psalm 41 to get our eyes off of ourselves. And get our eyes onto this God who is worthy and onto the Christ he has blessed in whom we are blessed. Our God has rescued the just king. 
Our God has raised the betrayed king. Our God has rewarded the innocent king. So bless the God who blesses his king. As we continue in worship now, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper to remember his death. And so as we eat and drink now, we are commemorating the meal that Jesus shared with Judas Iscariot the night that Judas betrayed him and took bread from his table and went out and betrayed the king. But we also eat and drink the Lord's Supper to anticipate Christ's second coming, the coming of our king. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we gather at the table, we look back, we remember Christ's death, how all of our hope is tied up in the king, how he died to welcome the weakest and the vilest and the poor, and we look forward to the day that this king returns, when this king will bring us healing and a resurrection, when this king will bring us the presence of God forever and ever, when once and for all the king will repay his enemies and justice will reign all over a new earth. We celebrate today our king and his table. This sacred time at the Lord's table is for believers who have rested all their hope on the death and resurrection of the King. So if you are not yet a believer, uh, we would ask you to refrain from partaking until you have placed your faith in Christ. And when you do trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we will joyfully invite you to come and share in this meal along with the body of Christ. Uh, those of you who are believers, encourage you to, to examine your hearts so that you can partake in a worthy manner. And I would just remind you that a, a worthy manner uh, doesn't mean you've got it all together. This is not a table for the strong. This is a table for the poor and the weak. So as you examine yourself, it's not a time to get your act together and make yourself worthy to come to the table. No, what makes us worthy to come to the table is that we admit we're sinners, that we repent of sin, that we recognize that we are broken, and we embrace Jesus' blood that saves us and forgives us and reconciles us to one another. What makes us unworthy is when we're so arrogant that we think we're strong by ourselves. What makes us unworthy is when we think we've got it all together and we don't need to repent of sin. It's arrogance that makes us unworthy. It's thinking ourselves too strong that makes us unworthy for the table. Not being a sinner. It's arrogance that thinks I can live in an unreconciled relationship with my brother and sister that makes us unworthy to come to the table. No, we don't have to make ourselves strong to be worthy of the table. We have to recognize how weak we are. We don't want to be like the Laodiceans who said, I need nothing. We want to recognize that we are poor and pitiable 
and desperately in need of what our king has done for us. This is a table for the weak. So as you examine yourself, don't try to make yourself strong. Make yourself depend on Jesus and his blood and the transformation he alone can bring as our king. If you're a member of the body of Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus invites you to his table. The king invites you to take his bread and his cup. This is not just a meal for our local body, but for the global body of Christ. And so if you're a baptized member of a gospel-preaching church, we invite you, come to the table. Come partake with us. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing a song. And during that time, you can come and receive the elements, and we'd ask you to take them back to your seat. Hold on to them until the time when we all partake together. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads now, we remember how Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As we come to eat bread at the table, we remember how Jesus gave bread even to his betrayer, turned around, handed him over to death. And we remember our king who came to preach good news to the poor. Who said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Lord, we celebrate this feast because our king has made us worthy to come to the table. Lord, we are weak, we are poor, we desperately need a savior. And you have provided him in the king you have blessed. Lord, we thank you for his death. We thank you for raising him from death. That we who were once his enemies can come to his table. Lord, be honored now as we look back and remember Jesus' death. And as we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we will yet again eat and drink with our King. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.